One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I know it wasn't exactly the most incisive question in the history of sports broadcasting, let's be fair. But I couldn't help feeling a little bit of sympathy for poor old Reggie Corrigan after he got Peter O'Manneed big style at the weekend. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast. Hi Murph, hi Simon. Hello. Hey, there. We've all been there, not necessarily with the Munster captain, but we've all asked a question that's pressed a certain button in the interviewee, touched a raw nerve, and this often results in a certain heightening of tension for the remainder of the interview. In my case, it was asking former Barcelona assistant manager Henk Tancate if it's fair to say anybody could have managed those guys. I can kind of see now where that mm. question might have annoyed upset, him. Ken Early famously asked Roy Keane, what's so bad about being accused of faking injury? Following up by informing Keane that at the time of Saipan, Ken thought he was right. But now Ken thinks Keane should have just played in the World Cup anyway. Mm. We've all heard that one. So what was Reggie's question that got under Pino Manny's skin? What do you think about the intensity from your teammates out there? Was there enough in the game? Did they give enough, do you think? What you mean, your question my teammates? No, I'm asking about the intensity that came from the team. Did you feel that they were giving it as much as they could possibly give out there? Yeah, 100%. I'm not trying to catch you out here, Peter. I'm just genuinely asking the question if you felt that, you know, maybe they left something in the dressing room, that there could have been more that they could have given. No, 100% not. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. It's difficult to overstate just how withering a look O'Mahony is fixing Reggie Corrigan with during that exchange. And I have an idea of how unnerving that look can be through not quite first-hand, second-hand experience, guys. Remember we had Peter O'Mahony on our TV show a couple of years back? Yeah. yeah. He was on a panel with James Horn and Shane Lowry. I had to remind myself today. Mm. Good panel. Yeah, good panel. <laughs> the, if you happen to have that recorded or something, <laughs> go back and watch a good show. They'd finished their chat and we're sitting at the bar area listening intently to our big interview with Andy Lee. When a phone starts going off live in studio, that phone belonged to my father-in-law, whose furious attempts to turn it off yeah. were probably not helped by the presence nearby of a glowering Peter O'Mahony, who was, yes, my father-in-law was in the, on the receiving end of the O'Mahony glare. That's yeah, got uh, to put you off. You got no, look, I was you. glaring at it myself, actually. Oh, yeah? I didn't know until much later that it was, in fact, your father-in-law. So I... I I, was, I felt free to give it the full-on, let's try and look as intimidating as possible. I've got to say, Murph, the Murph glare probably wasn't as intimidating as the O'Mahony glare. That's why, that's why that one sticks in his mind, more mm. so than whatever you managed to conjure up. Back to Saturday, Peter Manny went on to do the press conference. He explained his reaction to that question. I think it's a silly question, essentially calling myself and my teammates out 
and questioning, do we want it enough? Myself, I'm a very proud Munster man, an Irish man, and that's at the core of everything. Everything is based around work rate and you want to win. And for someone to question that, I take huge offense at it. Reggie, for his part, was like a dog with a bone. Here he is interviewing Razzy Erasmus. I asked Peter there about the intensity. He got offended. He felt that I was uh, questioning his teammates. Did you feel that the players gave uh, enough intensity out there? Were you satisfied with their performance? Yeah, sure. You know, three tries to two. Uh, I think we, we lost again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't question Reggie's persistence there. Peter actually Peter gave him a second way. chance. Are you questioning my teammates? Yeah. And then Reggie asked the exact same question. <laughs> questioning his teammates. And then he asked Rassi as well. You kind of... Can you see why... A Munster man would be so annoyed at their intensity being questioned. Well, Rassi was extreme, no, Rassi extremely calm. Yeah, he was calm, yeah, but he hasn't been around Munster that long. No. Probably doesn't remember Reggie Corrigan playing for Leinster either, which I think might have been a there's key an factor. There's an element there as well. In all of this, an unspoken, but nevertheless integral factor behind all this. So if it was a former Reggie. Munster player asking the same question, I wonder how that would have gone down. I Think well, I think it would have gone down. Exactly. Well, it, it, no, I think it would have been different. I, I, I think he would have got annoyed, but he would have hidden it better and then fostered a simmering resentment of that ex-Monster player mm. for three to four years. Whereas I think <laughs> I think with the, fa the fact that it was Reggie Corrigan meant that instead of having a simmering resentment, that the resentment boiled up immediately and um, yeah, quite noticeably. We're going to talk about the rugby itself very shortly. Let's do one of these. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned that you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Today's scumbag goes by the name Peanut in Rush. Ah, thank you, Peanut, for getting in touch. Emailed in to say, lads, I know it's been many years since you did a, a good, clean fun with Pat Kenny, but I believe it should it be brought has. back. <laughs> yes. It's been a long time. Well, boy. Peanut believes this slot needs to be brought back to life today. His knowledge of sports still remains unparalleled in Irish journalism, but perhaps your listeners weren't aware of his own sporting prowess. Check out his appearance on Newstalk, Newstalk's breakfast show today, where he was talking to one of their female presenters about Wes Hulhan. Only joking, obviously. He was talking to Shane Coleman and Paul Williams. <laughs> Uh, Pat Kenny, can we win without Wes tonight? Well, this uh, talk about Wes and can he play two matches in yeah. four days. Um, I mean, I'm a lot older than you guys, but I'm just thinking when I was playing squash and all that, could I have played, you know, at that age, played two games in four days? Of course I could. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Shane Coleman doesn't seem convinced. It's true. It's true. Well, it depends who Pat was played against there. You know, if it's one of the elite players in world squash. Yeah. Also Homer away. Then that's impressive. I mean, if he's, if he's at home, you know, for both games, I don't think that's a problem. But if the second and game's pa away... what's Pat's style, you know? Is it all-out attack or, you know, does he just try and keep his opponent low-scoring? Yeah, kind of like short, a brutal A lot of points, drop shots, yeah. You know, a la sort of like Ivanisevic. don't have enough or, information, essentially. To. Yeah, it's true. Well, I'm sure Pino could get back. He continues, hope you enjoyed. Speaking of news talk, I'd like to take this opportunity to commiserate with Ken and Murph, who, as a result of the Irish Times ban, will not be able to contribute to the news talk airwaves. I'm sure they invite, get invited on all the time. Best, Peanut. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks, Peanut. Thank Speaking you. Speaking of the Irish Times, I made a little bit of an error. It's been brought to my attention over the last few hours on today's Second Captain's Football World Cup Qualifier Preview Show. By the way, Murph, we have a listen. Uh, hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, the relevance of which will self-destruct at around 7.45 this evening. <laughs> sorry, sorry, what was that? Yeah, 
I call it the, the Irish, Irish Times. Irish Times second episode. Ah, we'll give the Irish Times that one for free, huh? Yeah. Oh, no. That probably means I can't go on Newstalk either now. Yeah, no, you've been tainted. I'm sorry, old. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our Monday Football Podcast is out now. It is dedicated, as I said, to previewing the pre-playoff playoff between Wales and the Republic of Ireland in Cardiff tonight. That episode is relevant for only a few more hours, but the World Service pods will be dominated by post-match reaction tomorrow and even further into the week. And let's be frank about this. Shows that we do the morning after massive football matches have provided us with some of our more memorable moments on the Second Captain's Podcast. Well, is that it? Have we seen the moment pass? Well, it might have happened. Let's hope not. Hulahan. Inviting his there. like it all happened in about eight seconds. Mm. Wes Houlihan getting the ball after Bruce fell over, realising, hang on, we're playing on here. Running into the box, having everything, it was just perfect. And then, no, no. <laughs> and then, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, my oh, word. Oh, tell us. Talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh, just saying, Sig Thorson is the only real threat. Every time we win. Oh, my God. I mean, come on. You're telling me you don't want a piece of that tomorrow? There's a small chance, a reasonable chance, of Ken Early laughing maniacally. Mm. What more do you want? Join up now on secondcaptains.com for a fiver a month plus VAT. Jerry Thorny's in the studio. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good, thanks. And you? I'm pretty good now. Owen Redden, how are things? Very good. Good to hear. The, the, I suppose the, I want to start this by asking, Jerry, if you feel that... Were you surprised with the ease with which Leinster, if not on the scoreboard, and I don't even mean this physically or with regards to intensity as uh, Reggie Corrigan and, <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Manny had a conversation, a, a curt conversation after the match. I just mean tactically that Leinster didn't seem to have to do a huge amount to get over the line at the weekend. That the way it looked to you, yeah. I, I suppose I did always feel during the game that Leinster were the likelier winners and they certainly controlled possession um, in the first half particularly. Um, and the penalty count was huge. The penalty count was just, just a huge difference. 10-1 penalty count after almost an hour. I've never. doesn't matter what team you have, you, you've no chance if you're conceding 10 penalties to one. And then it was 6-0 in penalties to Munster in the last 20 minutes, so they came back into the game much stronger. It did seem to me that Leinster controlled the ball better, went through phases better, and asked a lot of questions of the Munster defence, which apart from one missed tackle by John Ryan and Rory Lockton, I thought Munster defended quite well and mm. kept them in the game. And they pilfered an intercept try off their line speed and they kept their shape really well and they weren't outflanked. And it took a very, very well-worked try through 23 phases and twice going to the air to Adam Byrne for Leinster to finally break them down. And then that penalty count came into um, came into bearing in the, th- in the third quarter when Johnny Sexton tagged on another nine points. But even then, it's still at the end, you know, Munster, I think Munster could take a lot from the game as well. I, w- I wouldn't say that Leinster won it that convincingly. They won it well through controlling the ball better. Um, but I always felt they were going to win as the home side, and I think they've got slightly the better team. But I thought Munster could take a fair bit out of the game as well, to be honest. Yeah, and did you feel the result was in any doubt? I know it wasn't a huge gap on the scoreboard, but I always had this nagging sense that Leinster were going to win it. Yeah, I think... I. I, I did always feel that. Um, you know, Leinster looks probably a little bit more organised. I think Munster, due to a few injuries, had to had to try a few new combinations. Um, I'd agree with Jerry. Their defence, they look really strong and 
and that passage of play was was um you know out of the top drawer from from Leinster and probably showed you know a good bit of learning in terms of the last time they came up against the defence um like that in a big game say against the Scarlets and the RDS where you know they probably played a lot and then didn't go to the air like they did and you know you just show like players growing and going to the air and having players who can win the ball in the air. Like, you go to the air twice, you know, you know, even in parts of the pitch where there's a lot of pressure on you as a 10 to get that kick right. You know what I mean? You're you're in the attacking zone. You know, because you've been here before, that kicking the ball up high is a really good idea here if you've got someone, a winger who can go and catch it for you. Whereas most of the people in the crowd on TV are thinking, what are you doing kicking that ball a lot of the time? And But Johnny, because he's faced that defence before, like against Scarlet last year, knows that, you know, there's no point in going out the back here. They're going to come up put pressure on us, maybe turn us over. And instead they go to the air twice and manage to get the ball back twice and, and score. And I think that shows um, both an awareness in, in how to play against that kind of defence and also like in the skills required to do it. You know what I mean? And to deliver that under pressure because there is more pressure on you like doing that kind of a kick when you've no penalty advantage versus when you've got penalty advantage from a mall and you're kicking to the corner for for your winger. It's a totally different type of kick. And I think to execute those um, pieces of play in that, in that situation was top drawer. Owen, Rossi Erasmus has always been quite clear on how he feels his team is going. And I don't know if there's been a reaction to the Saracens semi-final in particular from Munster in that they feel their game needed to evolve after that. And it it clearly did. I mean, Saracens absolutely outplayed them. And it was a a lesson as much as a rugby game. But um, do you think they've gone too much? Is Is there sort of a lack of clarity with how Munster play, or certainly played against Leinster. Now, I know they picked three out halves, and maybe Blindell will come back in, and, and Zebo and all the rest, but I just felt like I didn't really know what Munster were trying to do, except actually for that late try. But for most, I'd say for 80% of that game, there wasn't, a, it's as if the players weren't quite sure what they were trying to do to hurt Leinster. Yeah, I think, you know, a large part of their, a part of, a part of Munster's tactic is, you know, I'd say if you look at how the weeks divided up, you know, you can see they spend a lot of time in defence, and that creates a huge part of their game. So winning things like penalty counts and you know winning the scoreboard and staying really strong defensively is actually really important, and it's actually very very similar to the way Saracens play, except the Saracens probably had bigger, stronger players in that game last year, um, but they were both trying to actually play the same way. And then when you when you realise that, okay, we're not going to beat Saracens in that game and you try and work out where do you go to from here, if you look at New Zealand and, and in the summer how they dealt with the line speed of, of, of the Lions, you know, they actually went narrower, which mm-hmm. is which is, you know, what what everyone up here like criticizes. You know, people if Ireland play narrow against England, you know, people be on their back saying they're not playing enough, they should be trying throwing passes and, and it's actually not the way to go. So like New Zealand went the right way and you have to actually be able to take people on in tight and go hard and, and get, get forward before you actually try and throw those passes. You know, And I think Munster, in terms of evolving, I think they're very aware of that. I think they have a very good set piece. They have a good maul. And I think their, their key is to actually deliver in those and have a really strong defensive um, uh, ability like to, to kind of keep the pressure on. If any of those things fall then they're behind and then they have to play and against defenses these days it's not good to have to play you know it puts you under pressure and you need to develop skills like Leinster had the weekend where you can go to the air and get 20 yards out of it even against a really really strong team so I think the next step for Munster is to, is to bring a bit of that into the game where because I don't think either Munster or Leinster are big enough to actually you know dominate a, a team that's coming at them that hard physically they have to come up with other ways of doing it I think it is possible and I think maybe you know kicking to compete in different ways is a way of doing that I think um, that's probably the next step for them Jerry, if Lens, or if Munster are in the midst of this evolution style wise 
and then off the pitch, their coach is leaving, they're not sure when, the new coach is coming in, they're not sure when. Is there a bit too much in flux, and do they need to just simplify next week for Castro, who are going to be, the fact that they get Castro early in Castro's campaign is sort of, is the key here in that they, they just need to win this one and then kind of it almost puts Castro out of the competition and the next time you face them, they're not nearly as good. But they need to just really go back to what they were doing last season, even though that goes against the idea that they need to evolve. I think so. I think so. Away from home in Europe, you want to, um, particularly when you're in France, you want to quieten the home crowd. You don't want the referee to get any, any um, in big influence on the game early on. I think Munster, well, well disposed towards doing that. If you think back to how they played in Racing away, particularly last year, you're right. There wasn't. They didn't make much imprint on the scoreboard in the first half hour, but they were controlling possession. They didn't take too many risks on the ball. They did a lot of one-off runners, and they kept recycling it. And they used their athleticism to eventually wear down an older Racing team. And I think they they will try and do something similar way to Castro. Control the ball for as much as possible in the first half. Keep as much possession. Recycle it. Um, play as much territory as they can. Very important that their their mall stands up and their scrum stands up because whenever you go to France. Um, they get extraordinary energy from a big scrum early in a game or a big line-out mall, they, more so than any other teams in the world. It really gets their crowd into the game. It's they still the they tell themselves, we're doing well here. Yes. They tell themselves they're doing better than they actually are doing yeah. just by how the scrum and, is doing. And then they feed off the crowd. And that's why so many French teams are so much better at home than they are away from home. And it still applies. If you look down the top 14 results this season, the same applies. You know, they're much better teams at home than they are away from home. And it's Munster's misfortune that they're getting Castro first up because Castro generally show a bit of interest at the start of the competition but then if they're not going very well in the pool stage they generally throw their hat at it halfway through so I think it'll be a tough game for Munster but I think you're right I think they will go back to a lot of what they did last season it's a curious one in that yes they have to evolve their game because the two semi, the semi-final defeat and the final defeat last season showed that when they come up against a physical side like Saracens or even a side like Scarlets and if they fall behind they're not a good team at playing catch up they have to develop more strings to their bow I thought it was interesting to see JJ Hanron come into the last to the, at 10 for the last 20-30 minutes Granted, this is all coloured by the penalty count, and they were playing, he was, but he was playing much flatter. And it, it's curious that we're going into round, the first round of Europe. We still don't know what Munster's first yeah. choice out half Who is. Who is their out half, Jerry? This is something that Erasmus said afterwards. He said, we must stop playing around now and mm. settle into selecting combinations. We know who our number one 10 is, and we will go with him next week. It, it's obvious enough why he wouldn't be revealing who mm. that is to the yep. media, but I, I can't for the life of me work out exactly who it is. Is, is it Hanrahan? Um, I don't think so. I would have thought if Hanron was going to be starting at 10 in Europe that he, he would have got more than the last half hour of, a, of one game so far this season. I, I get the impression that there's still the old question marks apply about JJ Hanron's game and his ability to control a match from 10. Um, the problem for Munster is that of their other two out-halves, Blayendal was their main man last season, but his form has not been good mm-hmm. this season and his, his, his goal-kicking has been much inferior to Ian Keatley's, so I wouldn't be surprised they went with Keatley. Owen, in terms of a position on the field where you have uncertainty about, well, I know Rasmus is saying we know who our best 10 is, but for the other players, you know, if that number 10 is switching from game to game, is that about as unsettling as it gets on strategy, on tactics, on everything? Um, I think the reality is that you, you, from the outside in, you can probably identify those things and say that's not going to help there, but in there, you're kind of worried about your own position getting picked and you know it's a huge game and you know the coaches are going to pick who they think is the best guy for the week and, and all things considered, you'll end up with the guy who is you know, the right man for the job this week because everybody wants to pick the guy who's the right man for the job. You know what I mean? So I don't think it'll, it'll affect them and their mindset before the game. It is something that, you know, if the next two weeks don't go well, you know, you'll naturally look back as a player and think, God, maybe if we were a bit more you know, sure at that point. But I think pre 
game, it wouldn't affect you at all. You know, you, you've got a great uh, run in this week. Whoever does get picked, you know, is going to know he's the number one. He's going to have a great um, run in. Like the, so the coach has said today, we know where number one is. That's a good thing to say because whoever gets picked the week knows he can, he can focus fully on this game and, and he knows he's the number one. And that was a, quite a positive thing to say. Yes, you know, he was probably forced into trying a few different things because of the injury to injury to Tauze. Um But that's also a smart thing to do to try and, you know, cover. You know, he's away to Leinster. He's picked up a bonus point. Uh, you know, plenty of teams won't do that in, in, the, in the Pro 14 this year. So, and he's got to try a few new players. So um, I think ultimately, I don't think it's, it's, it's as big a deal as you would think looking in. Um, you know, and I think going back to the developing the, the developing the game, they're not that far away. Like, you know, it's 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 just a matter of actually, you know, it's not a huge change in terms of being able to say uh, challenge in the air a bit more, kick a bit more in the air, and learn how to break down that kind of blitz defence. So, I think all in all, going into this week, the ten is going to know that he's he's their number one. He's going to have a few a few, um, and often like. You know, into, when you're going into a big game like this, you've had a few changes. The team are just kind of waiting to hear the team so they can just get going on, on Monday or Tuesday. You know, and sometimes you get a great boost when everyone knows, right, here we go, let's go from here. And I think hopefully you'll get that from Munster this week. You know, and like Cast is a really, really tough place to go. It's probably the toughest place to go in January when they're out of the competition. So if you could have any team in January when they're all out of the competition as a French team, they'd be the ones that you wouldn't want to go to because the pressure on them at home is just literally. Like the, the the fans do not accept losing. The president does not accept losing at home. So um, to have them first, as Jerry pointed out, is is just extra pressure on top of that. And I think um, so. On the one hand, they're going to be under serious pressure because of that. On the other hand, I think they'll get a boost from you know their team finally feeling like right here we go. This is the way. We, this is this is us going forward now. You know, let's really commit to this as a group. And and they really do know <laughs> when the ten gets picked. That ten knows he's kind of in for the season because Rassi's so clear about it. Well, he knows if he plays well enough, he's in for the season. You know what I mean? He's got to deliver. Um, you know, and and in fairness, the groups of games that these these teams have coming up at the moment, like you know, managing to perform week in week out when you're you're not like going to be the dominant team or the favourite every week is very very difficult, particularly in in positions like nine and ten. Um, you know where you need to be delivering on so many other fronts as opposed to just physically. You know what I mean? Like if you're a seven and you go out and deliver physically and your team gets beaten, you know, you've done your best, you'll play again the week after. At nine and ten um, and maybe full back and hooker, you know, there's other things coming into play. You're going to be up against very, very good teams who defend very well, who are very organised and being able to see options and, and, and move the game around is much trickier. And I think um, to say that, I think whoever gets picked this week has that, you know, opportunity that if he managed to deliver against all these tough teams, he'll stay there. But um, I think the guy who doesn't get picked at the same time is going to be thinking, well, I need to stay right here because there will be opportunities given the level of competition we're going to have over the next few weeks. Jerry, Johnny Sexton from Leinster's point of view said afterwards that they have to move it up a couple of levels next mm-hmm. week. Uh, and I suppose people would agree with that. It is always a cliche, no matter who wins these Leinster Munster matches. They always say that we have to push it up a couple of gears for the first European game when it's against a, a team as strong as Montpellier. That probably is true. If Leinster produced the exact performance that they produced at the weekend, how far along the path towards a victory would... I don't know why I'm asking this in such oblique terms. Would it be good enough to beat Montpellier, do you think? 
Possibly, possibly not. I think they need to. So they do actually need to step up a couple. Yeah, I think, of... think they got to protect the ball. But I mean, I don't want to pick on Rory Lockton because he got two tries and played very well. But I think he lost the ball in contact three times, and you wouldn't want to be doing that against Montpellier if they're in the game all the way through the match. I can't imagine they'll be as dilettante as they were in the RDS last year when beaten out the gate. Um, they rested some players at the weekend with this game obviously in mind. They're going well. They've thrown huge amounts of money at it, probably more than any other team in Europe at the moment. When they bought in Aaron Crude and Louis Picamo and Rune Piner. Um, I think that the one secret to Leinster's success in the pool stages last year, notably against Montpellier, was when they played with tempo and just the quick taps, um, rapid recycling of the ball, moving, using the width of the pitch whenever they could and just moving Montpellier around and around and around as much as they can. And they, that requires tremendous accuracy. It takes a while to achieve that level of accuracy. You're not going to get it in the first few weeks of the season, least of all when your stellar frontliners are only just coming back. But that being said, I thought Jack McGrath and Tyke Furlan were better again at the weekend for their run. Johnny Sexton's hit the ground running. It was an encouraging enough return for Robbie Henshaw. We wait and see whether Sean O'Brien comes back. You know, Sean O'Brien, Cal injury, question mark, question mark, but they've got certainly got plenty of options in the back row, Conan's a fine carrier and so forth, so I think, I actually would be quietly optimistic for their chance, on the basis that they will improve from that game, I think that game will have done them both very good, speaking to Peter Armani afterwards, he said it was every bit as intense as any game, any Leinster Monster Interpol, and the collisions were every bit as fierce, so I, I think it will bring them on a notch. Owen, is the big variable for Leinster, all the young players, particularly the outside backs, um, with Count Rory O'Loughlin as one of them, um, obviously Joey Carberry, um, Daly. I mean, a lot of them, <clears throat> they're very good. Well, Byrne is probably the best example of this, of being quite brilliant going forward at times and then really dodgy in defence at times. Um, and I know it's a sweeping generalisation to say it about all those young attacking players that have come in, but they all played really well going forward and most of them made glaring errors in defence. Um, I don't know. You know, I think it's it's one part of the it's one part of the the selection last week that that um, you know made me think about Reggie's question after the game, or you know, one or two bits of rhetoric from from one. Only actually, the more I more I looked at the media during the week, I think you know there was a lot of people being very positive about the fixture beforehand and afterwards, but there was still one or two kind of talking the fixture down and like you know I was wondering if you if you asked Fergus McFadden or David Carney at the weekend how they felt about not playing in that game. I think. You know, you'd get an even stronger uh, reaction than Peter Mahoney gave you, uh, gave Reggie after the game. You know, I think um, so. It was one, it's one element part of of Leinster that's of serious strength, and Leinster have guys there who are probably you know all have slightly different um, skills and maybe are higher up the bar chart in terms of what they're really good at in terms of what you're referring to there. But you know, these young guys are guys who've developed like you you're seeing Adam O'Loughlin, um Sorry, you're seeing Adam Berman go up and, and take that ball in the air twice. Um, and I suppose what you haven't seen is his development in terms of how he's worked on that and that's become a strength of his. And when you see that from young guys right across, and I would say the same for, for the older lads when they were younger in terms of gaps in their game that they're filled, it gives you great confidence that all these lads, yes, they're stronger at different things, but they're constantly working on what they're not good at. And it's not a case anymore of you either have this or you don't in your game certainly isn't the level of coaching that's going on at the moment um is just phenomenal and i've seen guys who've come into to leinster and i've thought you know and i'm quite i always be quite optimistic but i've thought that guy just won't be able to do that for example and you know lo, lo and behold a year later i'm seeing leaping like you know and taking balls above his head and thinking like how how has that skill been broken down it's the kind of thing you'd have a dad at the side of the pitch saying years ago you just he just doesn't have it you know and i think that is gone now so when you look at someone you say he's not good enough at this but he's very good at this 
I think that the opportunity there with with the level of coaches we have now and the work ethic that these guys have, that yes, they're going to make mistakes, you know, and and I and the and the older lads are still pushing. Like I certainly was in a boat where I was being forced to adapt and improve different parts of my game right into my thirties, um, because there's no room for for, sit, for sitting still anymore. So I think that these these um things that you're noticing, I think, will start to dissipate in all their games, in anything you know it's in any of their games, and uh, and they'd only get stronger for it. And is defence one of those things, one of those factors or elements to your game that's easiest to fix? Is that one of those cliches you hear a lot from ex-players and commentators and analysts? Yeah, well, it can be because sometimes with defence, like you, you've got you've got people who you've got supporters who think people fear of of the, fear of the contact or fear, you know. And what really happens a lot in defence is saying a winger he's out there in his own. The fear of making a mistake and fear of costing the team a try can actually you know, really affect his ability to move quickly and instinct- instinctively and make good reads, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get a guy coming in who, who's, who's, you know, either new to a system or new to a team and you see him, he's just not instinctively making those reads, then obviously after, after a period of time, he will begin to make those reads much, much quicker and he'll lose that sense of, oh my God, if I make a mistake here, they're going to score a try. And then that's when you're into the kind of in the moment, making great reads, making big hits, making big tackles. So what you're really looking for is you know, does this guy have the intellect to learn this? Does he have the physical attributes that if he isn't think that he'll be able to dominate? You know, and how, how, how mentally resilient is he if he makes a mistake? Can he bounce back from it? Can he go and work on it and deliver again the week after? And I think, you know, those guys you're seeing um, in, the, in how competitive the, the back three slots are for Leinster at the moment, you know, none of them would be, would be even close to it if they didn't have all those attributes that, yes, they are all at different points with different skills, but they're all capable of moving on and, and, and getting better. It's an interesting one because that's a big selection for Leinster on the right wing coming up against Nadolo. Nemanja Nadolo, he's Montpellier's go-to man. He scored six tries this season. He was a thorn in Leinster's side last season um, and he's got to be stopped. And Adam Byrne was brilliant in the air, very good carrying again. But, you know, he got, he got his body turned and he wouldn't have been happy with himself. And I'm sure it's a big part of their review today um, for b- both Keith Earl's tries, but certainly the first one. So do you risk him there against Nadolo next week? It would be a ballsy call. You'd imagine if Easton Aceba is fit, he comes back in somewhere. But um, prob- I'm probably on the wings, although they've tried him at 12. You'd imagine it would be on the wings because Joey Carberry is such an important part of their counter-attacking game. And he's such an effective second playmaker outside Sexton when he comes into the line. We saw that for the try that he set up for O'Loughlin. So that's an interesting call for Leinster. Yeah, a few interesting calls during yeah, the week. Uh, yeah, so, I think yeah. Like, you've got a coach, like you've got... In terms of, we're all. I'm speaking here about you know people, young lads or months are trying new things and are experiencing the mistakes or Leinster learning from the Scarlet game last year and going to the air a bit more and getting the ball back against a similar type of defence. And then you think of like you know Vern Cotter coming into this weekend away. He's already shown that he's he knows what Europe's about or he knows what French rugby's about in terms of you know how will my team be motivated for the game next weekend and you know he's decided to rest a few guys the week after immediately gives everybody in the group a sense of how important this game is this week to him he's learned how to play with Scotland which means that you know they, they weren't always in the ascendancy you know they, he used to travel with with Claremont when he was always in the ascendancy in France he'd go after every game really really physically and play the same way all the time all the time he'd come over to Ireland with, with Claremont and, and lose because that game didn't work so now he's gone to Scotland where He's now had to play with a team who haven't been physically dominating teams, and he's learned how to do that. And now he's coming back with all his experience of, you know, our, our Pro 14, watching his teams play. He's learned how to play with a team that's not physically dominant, 
and he's had all the experience in Claremont before when he was physically dominant. So he, this week, is going to be key. Like, it, it makes the challenge extremely, extremely tough for Leinster because I think you've got the likes of Ruben Pinar who knows how important it is to win away in a, in a Heineken Cup and what it would do to the campaign winning next week. Whereas I don't often think you have that type of knowledge in the French teams when they come abroad. You know, they, they think if we if we just lose here, it's not the end of the world. We can win our home games and go through in Europe. Whereas when we go away, we're scrapping for every point. And we know we know that like a bonus point in the last second here could be huge. You know, and I think they're going to bring all that knowledge with them. Um, and Pick and Mulligan from Northampton has, has gone through some tough times last year and he's more schooled up in terms of what's coming next week so I think you know you're back to the days of where Leinster are you know a brilliant team and could go and, and win the European Cup but you're back to the days of when Claremont came to the RES, like and, and you had the fear of God in you and that's that's how big a game it is for Leinster it's how big how big an opportunity it is for the players who do get picked to go and say look you know, I've, I've delivered against Montpellier at home when they knew what was coming, when they were organised, and I'm good enough to play for Ireland. I think you're getting back to that those levels of excitement again where, you know, this isn't just a routine French team coming over for, for the weekend. This is going to be a really, really tough fixture. This is a huge challenge, and if we deliver, you know, it's going to mean a lot more for us as a group and individuals going forward. All right, nicely set up. Owen, thanks so much. Jerry, thanks a million. Cheers. Okay. In the final on it again. And the A. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the drinking edge off. Get him off the field. That was diabolical. Get him off the field. That's just typical of what he is. Get him walking. They don't like it. Walk it, Campbell. You've got it in bottle. If you've got it in bottle, Campbell, it should walk. That was absolutely diabolical. That should be sent off. He's going to be a card. A gas bait. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the dirty guys off. You'll ball this game, Campbell. A gas bait. pretty soon I think I need to spend at least two and a half hours psyching myself up into believing that of course we're going to go and win in Cardiff and qualify for the World Cup playoffs haven't we already beaten Austria away from home in this group and okay you have to go back to 1987 to find the last time before Vienna that we beat a higher ranked opponent in a competitive international football match away from home and sure Shane Long has joined Seamus Coleman and John Walters on the injured list and we're finding goals almost impossible to come by but Wales don't have Gareth Bale the audio Owen, the audio? just keep listening to that audio that we've been playing all day. Oh, Robbie yeah. Brady and uh, Shane Long and assorted other brilliant moments in, you know, the regular tedium of being a Republic of Ireland fan. Just remember that, that there is tedium, there is frustration, and then maybe once 
every 18 months or so a moment of rare transcendent joy and let's hope that tonight is that moment the equation is simple win and we're into a playoff Carl Manzer tweeted me to say that if I'm looking for my permutation fix Murph he wants me to check out the bonkers South American setup going into the final day I did that Carl I thought this would take two minutes to do before coming on air it's uh, delayed this podcast by about 45 minutes and I've had to distill it right down because I couldn't find any way to <laughs> go through all the permutations and make them sound anything less than Well, you're either a wanker or you're not old. I am a permutation wanker, but I'm just toning it down a little bit here. So I'm going to concentrate on Argentina. They're in sixth place going into the final game. This is Messi's Argentina. Could be his last chance. It is his last chance at World Cup glory. They're in sixth. They need to get into the top four to qualify automatically. If they finish fifth, so if they move up a place, they do get into that playoff against New Zealand. Okay. Be backing them. You would be backing Zealand. them there, to be fair. Their last game is on Tuesday night up in the high altitude of Quito, Ecuador. Oh, tough place to go on. Well, much and go and get a result. Yeah, much like Pat Kenny and his squash, Murphy once ran a 10k at altitude <laughs> at Ababa. Not easy. Didn't handle it as easily as Pat did his <laughs> squash careers. Two two squash games in three days. <laughs> oh. If Argentina win the game, they'll be good for a playoff spot. That's a simple part, and they might go through automatically as well if Brazil avoid defeat to Chile. That's assuming Argentina win. Okay, which is a big ask up at altitude. If yep. they draw the match, that could. This is where it gets interesting. For all you permutation wankers out there. Mm. Interesting this being is a, a relative per- term. This is a permutation wanker's dream. Mm. Because if they draw the match, that could technically be enough to qualify automatically. It could be enough just to make the playoff spot. Or it might mean they miss out entirely, depending on a series of other results that I'm not going to go through. Wow. Weirdly, here's a, here's a real kicker so for So many you. possibilities. There's one more, Simon. Argentina can still move up to fifth place and get into the playoffs with a defeat. They can move up a spot with a defeat. How, you ask, Murph? Well, if the current holders of fifth spot, Peru, suffer an even heavier defeat. That's how close the goal difference is between Argentina and Peru. They're up against Colombia. Of course, you could easily lose heavily to Colombia. So that is, uh, yeah. Worth the 45 minutes on. What about the uh, permutation uh, uh, that includes Neil Taylor's red card costing Wales? Oh, yeah, this is the fair play. Yeah. I love this So one. if Wales uh, draw, if Wales and Croatia both draw, then the two will be level on points and goal difference with numbers, number of goals scored deciding which of them progresses. So Wales have currently scored one goal more than Croatia, but if Croatia score one goal more than Wales and still draw, so if Wales draw nil all, Croatia draw one all, then their records will be identical. If Wales and Croatia are level on points, goal difference and goal scored, the last playoff place would be decided by fair play records. Wales' fair play record as a result of Neil Taylor's horror tackle against Seamus Coleman, could well deny them a place in the playoffs. I knew there were still permutations to get excited about today, Murph. It's going to be a See how I left that out of the football show and left it even after the rugby chat. So this is basically garbage time in the podcast, and I've decided Gosh, there is the only time that I can be a permutation wanker. It's going to be a Take big away, week on the World Service. Thank you, Kieran. Filled with World Cup qualifier reaction. The permutations will end after the last games, I hope, and we'll just be talking about Unless playoffs. there's, say, a match-fixing oh, inquiry. Stop. And by the way... In group I. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Simon. Thanks. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in the World Service. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.